there's always someone out there drinking more than you, no matter what, and making it seem normal. So like, I think asking that question personally of, is it making me happy? Is it aligned with my values? Is it helping me achieve my values every day? And is it helping me achieve my bigger dreams? And you know, it's, it's okay if some of those answers aren't a perfect yes or no, just allowing yourself to ask them, I think is the first place to start. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Carnivera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're also excited to now be a part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. We have a very unique guest with us today. We have Carolina Jotkowolska, and she is a certified alcohol-free life coach who helps people, men and women, leaders at all sorts of levels, take a different look at alcohol and the way it impacts their life, the drivers behind the use of alcohol in their life. It is, a, I can promise you, a unique conversation, one that needs to be had. As you're going to hear from Carolina, the statistics are very significant in terms of the number of people consuming alcohol, but more importantly, those who wish they at some level drank less alcohol. We're going to talk about everything from the health realities of alcohol to the health impacts to some of the drivers to the alcohol use, some of the challenges to moving past our alcohol use. And as Carolina is going to share with you, it's not about alcohol being good or bad or just completely stopping, but she talks about just having this curiosity mindset around the role of alcohol in our lives and the willingness to just take a break. So sit back and enjoy this conversation that is so vital in our conversations of our society, our culture today, and see how it applies to you. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are excited to be back here today because we have a unique conversation today and we have just the right guest for it. We have Carolina Jatkowolska with us. I'm not going to try that more than once. And she is a certified <laughs> alcohol-free life coach. I got to tell you, I've never heard nice. of this before. And she helps powerful women make alcohol insignificant in their lives. She's worked with thousands of clients through her online courses and her coaching to change their drinking habits and unleash a whole new level of health, happiness, and potential so they can go after their big dreams. She's got a book coming out in January. We're going to hear more about it. It's called Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. Uh, she's also the host of Euphoric, the podcast. She's the founder of Euphoric Alcohol Free. She's had her work featured in Huffington Post, Pop Sugar, Authority Magazine, and many others. So obviously, this is a different conversation, not one we've had before. And I'm so looking forward to hearing uh, what Carolina's got to share with us and with our leader listeners. So welcome, Carolina. Thank you so much, Jeff and Craig. It's a warm welcome, and I appreciate being on the show today. Yeah, great to have you. This is a very interesting topic to me as I have people that have dealt with alcohol in different ways in, in their lives. Absolutely. So Carolina, uh, give everybody a little bit of the backstory for you. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting, but I feel like when we talk about alcohol in our society, it's like one of two ways. So we either talk about alcohol, like, let's go have a drink. Let's go out for happy hour. Let's go some kind of drinking thing together. And then the only other time we really talk about alcohol in our society is when someone's overdone it, right? Mm. And they've really hit rock bottom. And now we're talking about alcoholism and AA and recovery and all these kind of really scary terms. And it really leaves this huge gap in the middle of all of these different habits, consumption levels, and behaviors around alcohol that's just not being talked about. And so what I do, what I do is because I've, I've really found, and I've really am passionate about this, the majority of people who drink alcohol drink more than they're supposed to, right? <laughs> so this isn't uh, so just a very small minority of people have a complicated relationship with alcohol. It's most drinkers and it affects people in different ways in their lives. And I really love working with the women and some of the men who are just saying, you know what? I want more. Uh, even if it's not a huge problem, even if I don't have a DUI on my record, even if I'm not drinking vodka for breakfast, I want more than this tiredness, this lethargy, this feeling like I'm always, you know, never ahead of the schedule on a Monday morning because I'm 
you know, trying to catch up from the weekend. I want more than that. I want more emotional resilience. I want to be more productive. I want to be healthier and I want to be happier. And I kind of share with people the science of, you know, why taking a break from alcohol will help achieve all those things and then also help them disrupt the habit and really find freedom from it. Wow. So what led you into this point? I mean, what was, was there a big issue with yourself or a friend or what, what led you to this point of saying, maybe I need to help two people? Yeah. You know, to make it as brief as I can, like I was one of those people in the middle, you know, like mm-hmm. I, uh, started drinking when I was around 17 pretty regularly. And it was a uh, very like a party atmosphere. It was what just the kids did. Then you went to college, there's more drinking there. And it's kind of like, when you think about it, you know, most Americans were socialized to drink. Like it is something we literally pick up when we're teenagers or in college or whatnot, have you, most people don't get away from that. And then what ends up happening is we form habits out of that. We form habits that maybe we, we like kind of, uh, tone it down as we get older. But basically what I did is I, I partied hard in college. And as I got older, as I got into my, you know, mid and late twenties, I really tried to become the healthiest, most productive, most successful version of myself. So drinking became something I reserved only for the weekends. Right. So I lived this very healthy lifestyle during the week, Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday. And then every weekend, alcohol came in for dinner parties, happy hour, sushi night, game night, you name it. Only I thought I had it all figured out, but I didn't because every single Monday morning, I woke up feeling so crappy, so down, depressed, ashamed of myself, like all of the healthy progress that I had made was completely wiped away by the weekend. And I was just kind of banging my head against the wall. Like, what am I doing wrong here? Aren't I, am I not doing this balance thing correctly? Um, and I really felt like I was the only one who was struggling with this. And even though I didn't identify with something, someone as a drinking problem, I didn't drink every day. I didn't drink out of sadness. It was really these normal social occasions or, you know, on the weekend to unwind. I was like, why is this so hard for me to figure out? And I really didn't figure it out until I, uh, actually took a, took a, uh, a, a view away from alcohol and I took a break. I took a 30 day break when I did dry January a few years ago. And that just gave me the biggest epiphany basically of my life of how much I felt better living and functioning without alcohol in my system at all. I was sleeping so deeply. I felt super energetic and motivated every single day. And that healthy progress I was making wasn't always capped, you know, like I just kept feeling better and better and better and just making better choices. And as I uh, ended that month, you know, I, I basically, uh, wanted it to continue, but I didn't think I was allowed to. I was like, well, <laughs> I'm an adult and normal adults drink and it's expected. Right. So I just didn't think I was allowed to. So I went back to drinking that February and, um, just a few times, just a few drinks. The contrast was such a big noticeable mm. difference to me. You know, my sleep was so impaired. I would, I remember even getting really cranky and frustrated after having a drink mm. where before I was like, awe, like experiencing awe and wonder and appreciation and so much gratitude. And it really lowered my mood. And so at that point I was like, you know what? Drinking kind of sucks. I want to take another break. (laughs) And I committed myself to another 30 day break, which basically turned into, you know, the last four years. Hmm. And since then, not only has my health improved, have I, you know, really gotten to this healthy mindset to really uh, feel productive and on fire every single day, but a lot of changes happened with my, uh, my career. I ended up quitting my job. I launched a business. I wrote a book. I I launched a podcast and I kind of realized that a lot of the reason why I was drinking every weekend was because I was so unfulfilled with my week. Right. And so I actually made the changes and had the confidence to design the career of my dreams. Literally. Like I travel when I want to, I just, I really do what I want now, um, out of that kind of insight, but it only, only came out from taking a break from alcohol. So Carolina, I, this is a number of years ago. I think this really makes your point. Four or five years ago, I was facilitating a retreat with eight business owners, all worldly successful. And I asked them this question. I said, what's the one thing that you would do that you believe would have the most significant impact in your life and your business? Mm-hmm. Something you want to do, something you're going to stop do. I didn't really set it up other than that question. Five of the eight said drink less alcohol. Wow. And that actually surprised me. I didn't see that coming. And when we had a discussion, not one of the five felt like they were what culture would define as over indulging. 
Hmm. But every one of them clearly had thought about that before. So talk some more about what you're finding with the folks you're working with about like they may be, they maybe they know this that they need to do alcohol free or at least less. Absolutely. And I think it's so confusing in our culture because we really do have this idea of normal drinker versus problem drinker. And it's like, if you don't drink in certain situations, people even assume it's because you have a problem, right? Like it's such a backwards way of looking at it. <laughs> if you said no thanks to fast food or, you know, something else, people want to be like, oh God, that's a fast food right? vegan, <laughs> right? They just think you're a healthy person or something. Right. And alcohol is treated so differently in our society. So it's like this taboo thing. You know, if you explore, it might mean something bad about you. And so what ends up happening is that like people have this intuition of how alcohol is affecting their body. And, you know, from a scientific standpoint, it takes a huge toll on your body. It's a toxin. It's a poison. You know, it, it really takes a huge toll on your body to detoxify from. It affects all of your like chemistry levels in your brain. It it lowers your receptivity to dopamine over time, to serotonin, to GABA. So it actually depresses your brain and makes you feel less happy moods over time. Hmm. And it also increases your release of stress hormones like cortisol, adrenaline, and dynorphin. So it actually does the opposite of really relaxing people. It creates hmm. like less of those happiness neurotransmitters and more of that stress over time, really leading to that kind of edge and anxiety that a lot of drinkers might feel. And so these are like normal feelings. And I mean, just, just take this one example nobody feels a hundred percent the next day after drinking. Like, I don't know anyone on the planet, right? Like that's impossible. Like we all feel better when we don't drink. And so when you have those feelings, you have that experience with alcohol, which is all very normal and scientific. Something sometimes inside of you starts thinking, is this good enough? Like, is this really how I want to live my day, my weekends, my, you know, every Monday morning, waking up feeling like this? You know, not only with the physical effects of actually deteriorating your sleep and waking up exhausted, like I mentioned with those stress hormones, it actually will make you feel less emotionally sound. Like you're actually going to wake up feeling lower and more anxious that day. And so I think there's just people out there, even though that drinking is so interwoven in the fabric of our lives and into our culture, ask themselves, like, is this really serving me? Is this serving who I want to be? Is this serving my goals? You know, when you have goals of like, uh, you know, being a leader or reaching a certain milestone in your business or uh, being very healthy or being a very present father or parent. Sometimes they're like, how does alcohol fit in with those goals? Does it help me achieve them or does it distract me from them? And so I think when someone has that intuition that they just, they want more, they want more than the promise of alcohol is giving them. Even if it's this normal part of our society, uh, it takes this kind of rebelliousness to ask, like, you know, maybe I could try a break or maybe I could try a, a period of time without it. Well, you've, you've got an interesting audience here today, at least in <laughs> Craig and I, yeah. in that, I mean, in that, um, I do, I do drink alcohol. Um, and we can talk more about that. And uh, several years ago, I did a two and a half year break. Hmm. We can talk more about that. So, I mean, we'll get more into that because I had some interesting experiences, all the things you're saying, the pressure and everything when I was, uh, didn't drink for two and a half years. And Craig, you, you don't drink much at all. I mean, you will have. No, I've never been drunk in my life. And I have, I maybe take a drink maybe a few times a year if I want to like a margarita or something like that. But I, I just rather like sweet things. So <laughs> it's, to me, it's more of a taste thing. I, I just haven't understood the, uh, the need for alcohol for myself. So, so let's just dig in here, uh, Carolina. One thing that comes to me is you talked about this range, and I agree with you. And one thing I think is a challenge in the range is that if you've got a quote unquote problem, often there's only one label for it, and that's you're an alcoholic and huge resistance to that. And I know, having been in relationships where alcohol became an issue, some of the conversation got away from that very consciously to we talked about it being unhealthy relationship with just mm. to avoid that label because the label I think brings up resistance. that actually doesn't serve change. So talk more about the cultural perspectives on the problem. I'm putting that in air quotes for just narrowly focus on that right now. That's such a good question, you know, and it's like, what is a problem? What is an alcoholic? What is alcohol use disorder? What, you know, all of these questions are honestly like very hard to answer in a scientific standpoint, because for example, of the heaviest drinkers on the planet, 
only 10% are actually physically addicted to alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. So someone could be drinking two bottles of wine a night and only 10% or more, whatever. uh, And only 10% of those people actually have a physical addiction. Okay. So it's not physical addiction, right? What is an emotional addiction? Well, anyone who's compelled to drink often and frequently has some kind of dependence on it, even if it's not, you know, that, that strong or not one we would call a problem. So it's like, where, where does that term come in? Aren't most people then that drink somehow emotionally dependent on alcohol? And then you even look at the criteria for, um, it's basically not called alcoholism anymore or alcoholic. And anyone who says that is actually, it's out of date. So the, the latest manual on uh, psychiatry and psychological mental disorders, the DSM-5, uh, calls it alcohol use disorder. So it's not called alcoholic or alcoholism. Um, and a lot of doctors don't even say it right yet, right? Because there's a huge stigma in that word alcoholic or alcoholism, and it's really not even the correct term anymore. So it kind of drives me nuts. But when you look at alcohol use disorder, it's this spectrum, right? They call it mild, moderate, and severe. And the people who qualify for mild alcohol use disorder is at least like 60 to 70% of all people at the bar. Wow. You know, like it's a really low bar, you know, like, the healthy standard um, for drinking is drink per occasion. In America, sometimes for men, it's two, but in other countries that are more uh, accurate to the health studies, it's only one for a guy too, right? Hmm. So like if one is the only healthy standard, how many people regularly have more than that? You look around at people who drink alcohol, it's most of them, right? It's the majority of drinkers who do that. So I like to think like we all got people who routinely drink all got a little bit of complicated, usually thrown into their relationship with alcohol, uh, just like most of us do with maybe sugar or like any other kind of vices that we have in our life. Um, And instead of like labeling people, instead of saying you're the type with the problem and you're not, why can't we just bring a little bit more awareness and curiosity and experimentation to all of our relationships with alcohol? You know, just like Jeff said, he took a two year break. I'm sure he discovered so much about himself in that period uh, that he would have not learned. Otherwise, it can be so valuable to do. Uh, you don't need really permission or a problem or a stigma or a label to be able to try something new. To me, I'm a I'm a chocoholic, uh, love sugar, things like that. And I guess I realized if if I have an addictive personality, alcohol could go really bad for me. And so I have avoided it. Um, but then I never really developed a taste for it either. I really don't like the taste of most alcohol anyway. So it wasn't a big hit for me and I don't feel the pressure in, in a social environment. I, I can have a Coke, I can have whatever I want. I just don't succumb to that myself, but I know that so many people do. I have family members and friends who are very different people when they've had too much to drink and it gets really nasty at times. So I'm going to guess, I want to touch on that. A couple things, Carolina, right then Craig talked about drinking too much. So I want to make sure we talk about that. Cause I gather from what you're sharing, some of this is about whatever too much is, but some of it is, and we may not get to too much, but it's still not serving us. Right. Is that, is that, am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. I mean, it could be different for people, but you know, I work with some women who never have more than one or two drinks at a time. Like how could you even call that a problem? Right. And yet they're locked on the habit, right? If someone is coming home every single day and drinking wine with dinner and it's not making them happy, they are questioning it. There's some room there to explore and to be introspective about it. Right. And then obviously too, I'm also sharing the tendency to drink more than the health guidelines is almost universal when it comes to regular drinkers. It's just how alcohol functions on the brain. So it's like, let's just drop the the embarrassment with it too. And just all have an open conversation, I think, to uh, discovering if it is serving us. So when I, when I say drink too much, to me, that means their personality has changed. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not the same person I'm talking to once they reach that point. Right. And, and I figured that's what you meant. I think that there's a lot of people, there are people who might drink too much based upon what's healthy or some love. And they're having this impact that doesn't change their personality yeah, right. back to that spectrum piece. So I'm curious, Carolina, and I guess I'd like to hear your perspective too, Craig, about that messaging, because when I stopped and particularly cause I was in a relationship when I stopped and then that ended and now I'm dating. And I would say pretty, I, I guess I'd say 100% of the people when I was dating, when I told them I didn't drink, got around to saying, do you have a problem? 
Really? And Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Wow. And I will tell you, some people didn't even believe what I told them because it wasn't true in the, in the cultural sense. It wow. wasn't, it was just a decision I made. Interesting. It just felt like the thing not to do, to not do. And I mean, there was a lot of that sort of judgment. So that's pressure. How, talk about that pressure and Carolina, and how does that get in the way of people hmm. trying to make some healthier choices? Absolutely. You know, so like I shared earlier, like nobody has a few drinks and then wakes up feeling like they're hundred <laughs> percent best self, like alcohol, even just one glass of wine reduces our REM sleep cycles. So we usually have around five to six cycles a night and it will reduce your sleep cycles, the REM portion of it down to just one or two. I thought it was so the other way around. Be, I thought it could, actually helped you sleep better. No. So what it does is it sedates you to sleep into slow wave sleep. Oh, so people will use it as a sedation in the first half of the night. And it can, you know, obviously someone even passes out, right? They're, they're solid, they're asleep, <laughs> but then it will start fragmenting your sleep in the second half of the night and oh. completely prevent you to get in, into that REM sleep that your brain needs to feel nourished and to process all your memories. So you oh. could be clocking in those eight hours and not getting that REM sleep you know, we're still obviously learning a lot about REM and I'm not a neuroscientist by any means, but they've deprived rats of REM sleep for three weeks and they all died, you know? So we know it's really important. And I was like a zealot when it came to my sleep, my sleep, my health, all those things were really uh, high values for me. And so I could really see the effect of what alcohol did to these things that I'm just trying to protect even just a little bit of alcohol. But I think that stigma that Jeff, uh, you know, alludes to is just it's so pervasive and, you know, it's kind of, it's really cultural that we've established this like normal versus problem drinker and just the whole culture of like quitting drinking and AA and sobriety and all that stuff really makes it hard for other people to question their relationship with alcohol because you don't want to come out and be labeled, you know, like you're making a healthy choice and all of a sudden you're called an alcoholic. Like that makes no sense. Isn't the person who's still drinking maybe more likely the right? Like it just doesn't make any sense. But, you know, and in many ways, like I think one culture is changing. So like last year, more people participated in dry January than ever before. Really? And it keeps going up in the millions of millions. So I think this is really starting to become part of the health and wellness conversation. Part of this idea that like looking into your relationship with alcohol isn't embarrassing. It's actually the healthiest, most mindful, most wise thing you could do. And I think that a lot of that stigma too, that people can feel judgmental is actually a reflection back on their own insecurities about their relationship with alcohol. Because if someone comes up and says they're not drinking and says, you know, oh yeah, I was really bad. I hit rock bottom. I, you know, I had to get divorced, all this kind of stuff. Oh, you're protected then. Cause none of that stuff's <laughs> happened to you. Right. So you can just say, oh, I'm so sorry. That sucks. Right. You know, like you can label them and put them in a box. But if someone comes to you and says like, yeah, I'm not drinking. I feel hundred percent better. My business is rocking. My health is going great. It kind of puts the pressure on you like, oh, should I be changing? Should I be, you know, doing this kind of stuff too? Yeah. So oftentimes when people don't react very well to your decision to take a break from alcohol or look at it, they're actually sharing their own psychology. They're sharing their own kind of red flags to you. And I think we, we protect ourselves with this, these labels of, you know, normal or problem drinker uh, helps people stay safe in the habit that they might have and might not completely subconsciously be entirely happy with. No. And it's also the people I'm around. My wife isn't a drinker either. Um, you know, she might enjoy a glass of wine once or twice a year, you know, but it's, it's like the, but I think that's a big, big part of it is I'm not around people who are constantly drinking partly by choice, but it's the people that I want to be around are just generally not the type of people that are going to be drinking heavily because they're, they're ones that are more interesting. They're wanting to accomplish more in life. And they realize, hey, maybe that's not a big part of it. On the other hand, I do have a lot of friends that do drink a fair amount, um, you know, some family members and stuff. But they, some of them have, ma have made some conscious choices to shift from that. Very difficult when they're in, in the midst of it and all of their friends are heavy drinkers. And so now trying to see them change I'm trying to be as supportive as I can saying, okay, what can we do? How, how can I help? What are, what kind of things can we do together so that you're not around that same environment, but not everybody has that support system. For sure. For sure. And it definitely like it, it is hard when that's like, it's the cultural norm. It's, it's how we are raised. It's what's around us. It's how we celebrate, commiserate, relax, all the things <laughs> network. Um, but one thing, a statistic I just want to throw out real quick is that 
they found that 52% of Americans want to drink less or not at all. And so those are just people who admitted it right on a survey. Interesting. <laughs> but with taking that, taking that idea that at least half the people around you who are drinking might not completely be happy with the habit and want to change it. That gives me a new sense of identity when I go out and I'm a non-drinker. I'm not the odd one out. I'm not the outcast. I'm the leader. I'm the rebel. I'm the role model, <laughs> yeah, right? Other people yeah. want what I have, but don't yet have maybe, you know, the bravery, the intuition, the just motivation to get started on it. So that kind of changes my worldview too, of like, just the same way most people want to be healthier, you know, and we admire people who are healthy in the world. You can kind of see this in the same way. And instead of letting, you know, judgment or other people's reactions mean something about you, understand it doesn't really mean anything about you. It's more a reflection on them. So I try to stay away from, you know, I don't want to be judgmental in that, you know, so when I, when somebody says, oh, well, why aren't you having a drink or something? And I say, well, I, I just don't like the taste of alcohol. You know, that's kind of my default. And I'm not trying, I'm, I'm just trying to downplay it so that I don't make them feel like I'm judging them because that's not my goal. How do you deal with that? Uh, I just say I don't drink. Right. And uh, okay. kind of leave it at that. And if people kind of ask anything more, I just say like, you know, I, I took a break and it was the best thing I've ever done. It <laughs> made me feel so much better, happier, healthier. And I, I'll often share, you know, if, if it's a deeper conversation, like really the life pivots I've made, you know, I mm. used to work this nine to five job and I couldn't wait for the weekend every week. Mm. It was like, can't wait for Friday. Can't wait for Friday. I usually didn't drink during the week, but it was like the weekend, you know, it was a time to unwind and relax <laughs> and go out. And part of that was all normals, kind of how everybody was living right for the weekend. Yeah. And I, I really didn't recognize at the time it was how unfulfilled I felt with what I was doing in my career, you know? I wasn't feeling the juice and the motivation Monday through Friday. And so when I took my break from alcohol, I got really that clarity, that third eye, that sixth sense to be like, Carolina, you want to make a bigger impact. You've always wanted to be an author since you're six years old. Where's that goal? You know, as long as I was a drinker, that never got worked on. But all of a sudden, I got all of this motivation, this confidence to take things that I thought were like pipe dreams and actually take the baby steps I needed to achieve them. Now, you just said that in January, we had the biggest number of people doing a dry January. And we also had 11 and a half million people leave their jobs from April to June. I wonder if there's any correlation there between those two. Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I know with my clients, um, oftentimes they they do feel like they're putting on a role or they're making checks on a checklist, you know, like what does success look like? Well, I have to have the house, the, the, you know, 2.5 children, the successful job. And, um, sometimes we, we go through life, you know, meeting the expectations of others or society. And I think that when we really turn within and when we really ask ourselves, well, what do I want? Like, what is meaning and legacy and purpose? What does it mean to me? Um, it can often look different from what we, we, we were raised to grow up to believe it is, or what we thought we were doing. And so I think just taking a break from alcohol, what it really does is it gives you all of those emotions too, that you were numbing for a long time, all of a sudden they're with you every day mm -hmm. and you can learn from them and you can learn from them and shift and make changes in your life to respond to your true emotions. Mm -hmm. So that when you feel like I'm really bored or I'm not doing enough, I don't feel like I'm making an impact or I don't feel like my voice is being heard or, you know, I really always wanted to share this story in a message. You then get the insights and the confidence to go after it and, you know, and go do it. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. I think that was good enough. I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Welcome back. So, and well, and I guess what I'm wondering, Carolina, we talk a lot on here about what are the obstacles to change, whatever that change is. A lot of people say they want to be better or different at something, and they're always trying to find the answer. And, and we tend to look at what's the thing that's keeping them as opposed to getting better at something. What's the thing that's keeping them from that? You've talked about some of that already. The people you work with, what else are they struggling with in order to make this shift? Hmm. So many good questions. And I think it's kind of all brought up in our conversations. But, you know, think of what we just shared about all the social aspect of it. Belonging, Mm -hmm. you know, like we actually we don't just willy nilly kind of form these habits or bonds to inanimate objects like a beverage for no reason. We actually think deep down subconsciously that they're fulfilling our deepest human needs. And so there's one example, when we use alcohol as a way to bond, to network, to go out with people, we actually use it as a way to have belonging with people. And now we have this society that says, you know, if you're, if you're not drinking, we're going to question you and we're going to, you know, cajole you and it's going to be a weird thing. So it's actually like, I could lose my belonging. I could literally lose my tribe, right? It's a fear. It's a very innate fear that we could have, but that's just one example. That's just one need that we might have. There could be so many deeper needs, like even this identity, you know, like someone who works hard and plays hard, for example, that identity gives them a certain level of status, this level of significance. They feel important because they can do the hard things and be super successful, but they also have this like, you know, crazy raging lifestyle with, with alcohol thrown into it. So that can be like, not necessarily anything to do with the drink, but it's like, that's how I measure my importance or, you know, like fancy wines or even whiskeys. It's like, that's how I show how well off I am. Right. So these are deeper human needs that we're actually meeting. Alcohol is just like the symbol, right? It's just like the actual habit itself. Obviously it has huge effects on the body and it's a habit formation on us. So I don't want to make it totally inanimate, but there's so many ways that we use it even for comfort as well. Right. Like most people who drink will also bring it home and might have a hard, stressful day. And then it's like, okay, 6 PM rolls around. Let's open up a bottle of wine. So for them, alcohol equals relaxation, comfort, uh, even certainty that like I can control my state and, and go into this certain uh, way of feeling. So like there's all these different kinds of human needs, I think, that we misguidedly attach to alcohol. Uh, and we can also do this with other foods and other vices, you know what I mean? TV, social media. But it's also another really great way to numb ourselves and distract ourselves from some of our deeper kind of issues. So, I mean, it's obvious to me why alcohol becomes such a habit in so many people's lives, because it is habit forming itself. It's so conditioned on us and it starts to meet our deeper kind of human needs, which I then help my clients uh, recognize. And then instead of taking away those needs or saying like, no, no, you don't deserve to relax at the end of the day, or you don't deserve to feel important, or you don't deserve to feel that belonging. Let's find ways to meet those needs that actually work. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Craig was saying, I don't want to be judgmental either, but like when people get too drunk, like that's not connection. That's like, you can't even like they're repeating themselves. They're not their true authentic selves. They're speaking from half of their brain being turned off. Like that's not connection. That's not presence. That's not authenticity. So it's like, if you really are looking for connection and bonding, 
Um, like there might be better ways to meet that over a coffee or over a hike or some kind of really cool bonding experience that like, uh, you know, five drinks at a bar is not going to give you. So it's a really cool shift in, in order to see like, where am I trying to meet my needs through alcohol and how can we recognize that those needs are very important to meet, but actually create outlets for you to meet those needs in much healthier, productive ways. Now, what about a corollary with something like cigarettes, right? So cigarettes used to be exactly the same type of thing. You know, that was your way of showing belonging. You were part of the crew. And now you rarely see people smoking. Now, part of that is because of legislation. But what what shifted the tide there? Yeah, and I, I honestly think that alcohol is kind of having a cigarette moment only in like the much more beginning stages, because you're right. Everyone smoked. You smoked on planes like it was crazy. Right. And then uh, we had all those health studies come out. We had policy changes. And, you know, I live in California. I don't know a single person who smokes cigarettes. Mm. Uh, I smoked cigarettes in college. I most of my friends did. Everyone did basically. Right. And now I don't know a single person. So you can really see the shift in our culture. And it doesn't mean people don't still smoke cigarettes. Obviously they do, but you would say they're the kind of like last stragglers on the bell curve, right? Like most people have already shifted. And I think the same thing's really happening with alcohol. It's not like this prohibitionist, like let's abstain from alcohol. It's really this like curious, like, you know, Jeff was saying that he took a break and people questioned him for that. And that can actually stop people from even trying it, you know? So let's like take away the pressure and like give more people permission to just explore different healthy lifestyles. And I think we're really seeing that movement with alcohol. You know, there's um, so many studies that come out that show there is no safe amount of alcohol and that, you know, it really does lead to higher incidences of cancer and heart disease. And I don't say that to scare people. It's more of like, if you need an excuse to someone, if someone's giving you a hard time, like there's, there's, there's like no healthier thing you could do for yourself than taking a break, right? There's really no, you don't need an excuse really today anymore. But I think it's also shifting in the popularity of like mocktails. So for example, there's a few restaurants in my city who have mocktail menus. There's all these non-alcoholic drinks now on the market. Yeah. It's actually expected the non-alcoholic drink market is expected to rise to $1.4 trillion over the next decade or so, I believe. And so there's this huge surge in these new types of beverages that basically meet the same need of having an adult beverage, being able to bond with people and having a fun, interesting you know, treat in your hand. It just doesn't have ethanol in it, right? And uh, there's so many of these every, every month, even a new company will come up and they, they've shared that over 46% of all Americans have actually bought one of these over the last year. So I think it's just the same thing. Like you said, with cigarettes, it's this trend. We are getting more invested in our health, more invested in our consciousness and personal growth and really being mindful of ourselves, our lives and our bodies. So let's talk about We've, we've talked about it, but we haven't labeled it. I'm going to call it comparativeness and that role around alcohol and decisions, because just in this conversation, I'm realizing the ways I compare it. So I had saw someone this week and they just made a comment as if it was nothing. Maybe it's not, maybe it is. And here's what they said. Well, you know, I typically have a glass or two of wine every night. It's just my way of relaxing. And when I heard that, I said, oh, that's interesting because I don't feel like I have my glass of wine to relax. So as I compare it, I know I went through a process of, well, I don't do it for that. I just do it because I enjoy it. I don't need to relax. But that person is not that they're good or bad, but I'm comparing. And then I'm watching, I'm rewatching Mad Men right now Mm. where they're drinking all day. And as soon as they get home, I mean, they don't even get into the door and I'm going, oh, my God, that's I don't do that. And I think unconsciously I'm testing myself. And do you find that in the people you work with that the way they talk about this, it's this comparative thing versus what's true or right for them? Yeah, I think it can be. And I think that's why alcohol has always been positioned as like, is this something that's problematic in your life? Does it have negative effects? Like those are the traditional questions we've been you know, taught to ask. And so I kind of do away with those kind of questions. All I ask my clients and all I ask my audience is, is it making you happy? Is it truly fundamentally making you happy? Is there like 46% happiness and 54% negative associations with it? (laughs) And just be honest with yourself and allow yourself to explore that question over time. Because trust me, it made me happy when I was 18 and 21 and I was just doing whatever I wanted to in college. 
But as a 30 year old, you know, trying to be successful and live a life of impact and be healthy, it was totally getting in my way. You know what I mean? So I think asking that question uh, and doing away, because you could, like you said, you could always find a worse comparison. There's always someone out there drinking more than you, no matter what, and making it seem normal. So like, I think asking that question personally of, is it making me happy? Is it aligned with my values? Is it helping me achieve my values every day? And is it helping me achieve my bigger dreams? Hmm. And, you know, it's, it's okay if some of those answers aren't a perfect yes or no, just allowing yourself to ask them, I think is the first place to start. What well, is interesting, you talked about this sense of connectedness, and I think certainly it is there's a fitting in element of alcohol in our culture still. I mean, I can remember that time when I was not drinking. I remember, I can tell you the restaurant where the waiter asked me eight times if I wanted to have a drink with my friends after I said no until I got angry with them. Really? I said, stop asking me. And I looked at him and I said, what if I was an alcoholic? How dare you? And I thought, is this how the world is? So I started wow. to see the world differently. I'll tell you that when you stop, you, I saw the world completely differently. Mm -hmm. And I saw what was happening and the pressure that I didn't see before because I was in it. So I think there's this lot about this fitting in. And I guess what I want to share after that descriptor, Caroline, is I will tell you one way I get a great sense of connection around alcohol it involves the drinking, but it's about the conversation about the particular alcohol. Like I really like bourbon. And when I meet someone that likes bourbon, we'll talk about the bourbon. Oh, what do you like? What do you like about it? And have you read the, have you had this one? So now we have common ground that is about drinking and it's not about drinking, but it is about common ground. And there's a relationship that forms because of the common interest in the details of it versus the action of it, but it comes with the action. I mean, we don't talk about bourbon and not drink it. Well, you, you're able to connect with people even regardless of whether you're talking about alcohol or cigars or, or something like it that. Is. You have a rich enough background to be able to make connections. That's true. I'm just, I'm saying though, that I can tell you that I have different conversations today than I had three years ago, hmm. even though, I've been the last three years, I have been drinking because of the depth that I've gone into it. So now I have when I meet people that know a little more, now we get excited about that. I would have connected with them on something else, I'm guessing, but I'm just saying that's because yeah. of my deeper understanding, I have this new connection thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, there's so much that you could peel back there and there's nothing like there's, there's, there's can be beauty right over the things that we do have in common with other people. But I think it's so much deeper than just like the alcohol. Like what does a fine bourbon signify to you? Refinement, sophistication, a really uh, advanced palate, you know, someone who really understands culture, someone who really understands, you know, it, like me, like the, the bourbon, the bourbon in the cup is a symbol. It's so much more than just brown liquid in a cup. Right. <laughs> and so that well, I think is where the connection you're actually getting from that person uh, is because you guys are like-minded in so many of those other ways or those other areas, um, versus maybe just the brown liquid, because technically, I mean, lot, every, like, it's kind of like, I think of it as dogs being a parent or, uh, alcohol. It's like, technically we're all supposed to like that stuff, right? Like you're supposed <laughs> to be able to bond with anyone over like loving dogs. You're supposed to bond with everyone over loving children. And the same thing happens with alcohol. So it might be special for you with the bourbon, but trust me, like that bonding thing, like, hey, we have alcohol in common. It's very, very uh, prevalent for most people, actually. Hmm. It's, it's, that's an interesting question to sit with, because like what came to mind is, in a lot of ways, those conversations are not different than I had as a 12-year-old over baseball cards. Yeah. Because the conversation is about, hey, have you seen that card? Do you have that card? Mm -hmm. That's what it was about. That's interesting. Yeah. Because I can have that same conversation about Broadway. When I meet someone who loves Broadway, totally. I'm going to have that exact same conversation, our common interest and some depth of knowledge. So we can go more than like someone, if someone doesn't like Broadway, they're going to have never seen the show, never seen the show, never seen the show. There's, I can tell them about my experience, but we're probably not going to talk about it other than them listening to maybe hear about how I experienced it. Right. Uh, very interesting. Um, so Carolina, 
we're getting we're moving towards the end of time here. I want to go back to something you said earlier. I'm curious about your thoughts on. We were talking about cigarettes, and uh, you're studying this. I am not. I would say as a outsider, novice, just an observer. It seems like to, as of today, there's still a difference between where alcohol is scientifically and cigarettes are in that I, I think there's some people who write articles that say cigarettes can't actually in some way make you feel relaxed, but there's no one writing articles that saying cigarettes are not on there. Everybody agrees they're unhealthy, right? I don't know that we are at a stage of that common understanding with alcohol. Like you're sharing some things today I've never heard. But it's certainly not mainstream. There's a lot of people who say moderate, you know, a couple of glass of red wine is good for your heart. So is do you feel like a lot of this is going to flow with the science? Or are we seeing changes made independent of the science on a grand, on a large scale? Yeah, uh, I can't answer that, like which one comes first, you know what I mean? But it's this really cool conflux, I think, happening right now in this time. I think in the last five years is not only have we seen uh, way more uh, kind of debunking of that old idea that like a glass of red wine is good for you. And really uh, the Lancet study was the biggest one done over 195 different countries over many decades that proved there's no safe amount of alcohol. All amounts of alcohol lead to more risk and disease over time. Wow. But then in addition to that, we have more and more studies coming out. Like the American Cancer Society now says it's best not to drink, not one glass a day, not one glass a week. It is just best not to drink. You want to minimize cancer? It is best not to drink. Wow. And that's happening, yes, on one hand, but at the same time, on the other hand, we get the popularity of mocktails. We get more health and fitness and wellness kind of concepts. We get more people taking uh, control of their destinies and their careers, this consciousness, this mindfulness that's happening. So I can't tell you which one comes first or second, but I think we're kind of like maybe in the 1960s, the early 60s or the late 60s. I don't know. I wasn't around then yet, but you know, where the studies were coming out around cigarettes, like they had the studies, but just, it wasn't really mainstream yet. It wasn't really changing the culture yet, but the, the evidence was kind of coming out and there was people who were, you know, changing the way, um, you know, I can't predict how it will happen, but I just, what I think is really cool about these health studies is not to ever make someone feel bad or like wrong. Like we know sugar is bad for us too. We know bacon's bad for us. Like things are obviously some things are not good for us, alcohol right. included. But it's to then give like no one should ever have to feel that taking a break or drinking less is somehow deeming them of less status in our world. That's what I think needs to change. Yeah, I well, took a talk. three and a half month break from sugar um, and I didn't have people saying, well, what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> uh, it, it just seemed a little <laughs> bit more normal, I guess. But anyway, um, it's it's a fascinating discussion because it impacts us so much in, in so many different areas when when we have people around us who can be negatively impacted now i'll say part of the reason i don't drink is just purely from a i guess from a spiritual standpoint in the bible it says don't do something that that may cause your brother to stumble and i see you know if i am drinking and it causes somebody else to drink and they have a problem with it that's doing them a disservice. Kind of like what you were saying, Jeff, about when the person kept asking you, you know, don't you want to drink? And so that's part of where that's come from. Um, but even before I became a Christian, I would, I, I wasn't drinking, but that that's just my choices. I don't know how somebody gets out of it though, when they're in embroiled in all of their friends go out, they drink, Unless you change your friend group, unless you change those expectations with those people, how do you get out of it? Yeah, I mean, and you think about it too, like as much of that pressure that exists today, we're literally talking about a beverage in a cup. It's a yes. beverage in a cup. And so when I go to a barbecue and I don't eat meat and I pile my plate full of salad, like, does anyone care what's on my plate? It's just food, right? Like I got the salad, they got the wings, who cares? You know, like you can still go out with your friends. You can enjoy a lovely beverage. That beverage just doesn't have to have ethanol in it if you choose yeah. not to. Right. And you can still have the same camaraderie. Like, and, and it's really, we're just, it's a beverage here. We're talking about, especially when it's like networking events or more things like that, that people still remain pretty conscious about. And then, like you said too, if like going out on a Friday night, isn't your highlight of the week anymore. And you're really more excited about waking up early and building your business or going on a run or just finding new ways yeah. of connection with people. There's so many different other social 
meetups or communities and stuff like that, that can foster that. So people have the freedom to go either way, you know, like you can still show up and just have a different drink, right? If that's what you choose to. And it's really not that big of a deal, even though it feels like it, we need to be the first ones to start sharing that. It's not, it's just a beverage, you guys. Like what's in my cup does not define who I am. And then uh, also, you know, if we want to seek other communities to be a part of, to really feel that belonging connection in new ways, um, that's also really healthy too. So appreciate uh, you guys sharing your insights. This is a very interesting conversation. Well, let's, let's talk about one other piece here before we close. And I, I'm going to choose not to label it. So I can just, I have some thoughts running through my head right now. You talked about all the pressure and the culturization. I get it. I really get that. And I feel like there's an, another element of pressure because some of that pressure is for people. They're actually judging you based yeah. upon whether you drink or not. That's, and a lot of that's pretty conscious. Some might be unconscious, but here's the piece. I know that people, there are people who would say they feel like they need to drink because drinking is the only way they feel like they belong mm. in the place that helps them succeed. Interesting. And I think there's some truth in that. I believe that in that narrow context, people, I, in fact, I'll just say this as a fact, I can assure you there are places in this world where if you don't drink, you will not succeed in that arena, that small arena, because those people have those biases. They won't do business with you. Give, give us an you example. Um, you've got a company, the president of the company takes the team out every Friday, goes drinking. And you say, I don't really want to be around it. I, that's probably going to inhibit their career. Good chance sure, that it will. But I can still choose to go, just not drink. I, I understand, but there still could be that judgment in there. It okay. has a financial impact on people. And I'm wondering, what's your experience, Carolina? How many people are struggling with the social uh, pressure versus what they perceive or create is a financial pressure? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think, you know, obviously the corporate world is really intermeshed with alcohol. And um, there is that like feeling that like, you know, you need to saddle up and go to the networking events and drink and stuff like that. And a lot of my clients do deal with that. So it's a very real concern. You know, it's not like you said, it's not made up. It's a really real thing. Um, And so there's so many different angles and ways to deal with it. And first of all, I want to just say, too, is that like we're kind of like we're having fun. We're kind of like going over some of the objections or some things like that. And all of these things don't have to be solved to just take the first step, right? Just to take a break from alcohol or to decide to read a book or to drink less. Like you don't need to figure out what you're going to do with your boss's like holiday party in a few weeks to just start looking at this today. Like, I think sometimes we stop ourselves with a lot of this, like, oh, but what about that wedding? And what about this one occasion? You know what I mean? And it's like, you don't have to get married to this. You don't have to do anything other than just open up uh, to want to take the next first step, right? which might be even just a day off alcohol for some people or even right a week or something like that. But when it comes to this like fear of like, oh gosh, like I'm going to be left behind for promotions. I'm not going to have the camaraderie with the company, you know, all these different things. Like there's just so many ways to go about it. So in, in many cases, like, uh, you know, like there's a lot of success driven companies and there's a lot of successful leaders who don't espouse that heavy drinking culture at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Tony Robbins does not drink alcohol. Right. There's so many different successful places that don't necessarily have that interwoven into their DNA. And it's not always the metric of like how business is being done, right? There's a lot of cultures that don't drink and a lot of ways to do it. Um, But when it is an expectation of your company, you know, like obviously like you can go and you can just order a different drink. And like some people pretend that they're drinking like something, right? Like just get a, a cranberry, you know, a soda type of a thing. And like I said earlier, like who cares what's in your cup? Just who cares? Like, If you stop making it a focus, you know, maybe other people will too. But I think a lot of times like we get cajoled into wanting to drink because the other person doesn't want to drink alone because they don't want to lose their inhibitions and feel like they were the only one. So let's marry into this pack together so we can both do it. Right. And oftentimes, while that might seem like a really smart move to, um, you know, like buddy, buddy up to people, you know, like most people wake up when they aren't their authentic selves, feeling slightly ashamed of that or slightly like disingenuous, like, oh, did I say that the right way? You know, like even the slight ways that alcohol can impair your brain can make you feel like I wasn't entirely in control last night. And if you're Seems waking like up feeling like that, maybe the other person is waking up feeling like that too. So it might be like a connection that's not really as strong as you guys thought. Like, 
if I went out drinking with, I don't know, Japanese businessmen into the hours of the night, and then we went to a strip club and all the craziness happened, I would wake up feeling pretty ashamed of that. And I would guess that they would too. And now their memory of me isn't of me as this solid business person. It's this like shameful night that's now attached to me. Right. So I could even argue that maybe it doesn't help people as much as we think and that we can change the culture of that uh, if we want to or find other places to work that might not espouse such a heavy drinking culture. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because what I'm coming away from this, Carolina, is an even deeper appreciation of the depth of this issue. Yeah. And the 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 depth of it, the nature of it, the insidiousness almost yeah. of all the cultural norms and mores and it's pretty locked in. And 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 like you said, here's the proof to me what you said Carolina is you had the largest number of people that did dry January. But then my question is, how many of them actually continued it? Not right or wrong, because they did that thing. Yeah. But we still got this huge percent of population that is at least at what mild, the mild on the spectrum. So they're trying it out, which is great. I think, I think, I think that's going to be the title. Just take a break. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I you think so like, much, I think starting with a, with a, prohibition or, you know, like abstinence or quit drinking. Like, I think it's, it's way too far-fetched for most people. I think it's just like, if this message resonates to you, if you feel like sometimes alcohol doesn't make you feel the best version of yourself, if there's times in your life, when you feel like your health or your business goals are not progressing as much as you'd like it to, it's just, again, like I said, having that healthy curiosity to see like, well, if I could experiment with the break, and, you know, sometimes 30 days is just not long enough. I usually recommend my clients go 60 to 100 days to really change the habit and the mindset as well, because it's not really about changing the habit. It's more of the mindset that goes to believe that why, why, you know, the drink is important at the end of the day, but really get to experience the benefits. Because to me, I'm not sharing like, this is why alcohol is wrong or bad or all these, you know, things are going to happen in your life. What I think the coolest thing is, is most people miss how amazing life can feel without <laughs> it by taking a break with it. And from the health, from the improvements to your sleep, your cholesterol goes down, your blood pressure goes down, you lose weight, your liver heals, your brain matter grows, you have more ideas, you have more uh, confidence to go after them. All of the incredible things that I've seen from people take a break, that's what's like the coolest thing for me to share. So if it sounds exciting for you, if it sounds interesting for you, you know, like Dry January is coming up. I have my book coming out on January 4th. It's called Euphoric Ditch Alcohol and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. And it's all about why you should take a break. So it kind of gives you all of these different statistics and facts and just things that would happen in your body, mind, and soul. And then also guides you with an eight-week plan at the end of it to take a break the right way so that it's not just about deprivation, but you're actually confronting a lot of these mindset issues and then fears and then also the cultural expectations all at the same time. So I agree with Jeff, like they're there, their fears are there or the realities or whatever are there. But there's different ways that we can still, I think, find the best path for us to move forward uh, and choose the happiest kind of healthiest lives for ourselves. Right. So I appreciate uh, all the cool insights and complex things that we've been able to dissect today. It's not simple. So, so, <laughs> so Carolina, best way to find out about all the dry January, your book, your um, I don't know what you call them. I don't know if you call them challenges or not challenges, breaks, your varying breaks. They can find all that at your website, I take it. Yeah. So um, the book is available for pre-order right now. And just for your audience, I have a special gift that's called uh, your best month yet about really how to guide someone a month off of alcohol. And so you can find that at euphoricbook.com slash gift. So you can pre-order the book, get your book ready for dry January, and then get some cool bonus goodies, including that your best month yet off guide and some mocktail recipes and also some guides to help you socialize. So that, you know, that isn't a huge problem. And then if anyone's interested in working with me or uh, in doing one of my, you know, signature programs or group coaching, you can find me at euphoricaf.com. We will share <laughs> that, Carolina. What is the best way for people to contact you? Yeah, so euphoricaf.com, there's a, there's a way to contact me on my webpage. All right. And uh, interest of time, we're just going to do one question here at the end. I got to ask the dinner question. So who's that person you want to have dinner with at living? And what's the one question you're going to make sure to ask them? So I am obsessed with Tony Robbins. There was like no doubt in my mind when I saw this question, who it would be. Um, I really, really admire this man. I think he's full of so much heart, 
so much wisdom, uh, so much success in business and health and lifestyle and mindset and relationships. Um, and he's also a non-drinker. So that to me is just uh, another cool person to like look up to who never really found alcohol uh, really relevant in his life and, and was able to achieve so much. And, and with that, you know, without that, that uh, expectation that he had to drink to be to part of that culture. Um, and if I were to ask him any question, I would probably ask him like, what's the number one, uh, what's the number one way that you've found to have this beautiful, like motivated mindset every single day? And I think I have a, a, a hint at what his answer would be, but um, <laughs> you'd rather hear it from him. I, I yeah. well, it's interesting because Zig Ziglar, he, he was talking about let's, let's ditch alcohol 30 years ago. He was, he was a big proponent for that. He's like, this is the biggest health issue that we have in the country. So anyway, interesting. Well, well, thank you, Carolina. Thanks for bringing what you brought today and opening up a very uh, important conversation. Yes. And thank you for the work you're doing around this in the world. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to your favorite podcasting app, rate us, give us some comments, share some love. It helps us to get our message out to more people. Thank you so much. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.